1: HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. You know you've got a comeback
0: in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count for your career, for your family, for your life.
2: Hi,
3: I'm Molly Jongfast, and this is Fast Politics, where we discuss the top political headlines with some of today's best minds, and Senator Joe Manchin says democracy as we know it wouldn't withstand another Trump administration. File that under Things We Know. Please, please don't run as a third party candidate. We have an amazing show today. The dogs are excited. Are you excited? I'm excited. Congressman Jared Moskowitz from the great state of Florida tells us about the chaos in the House as Republicans can't run hearings or choose a speaker or choose what to have for lunch. Then we'll talk to off messages Brian Boitler about the GOP's turn against MedGate's. But first, we have former congressman and current candidate in New York's 17th district, Mondaire Jones. Welcome back to Fast Politics, Mondaire Jones.
4: It's great to be here, and what a week.
3: So for the people who don't text with you every single day, (laughs) you are probably like one of my frequent flyers of my contact list. Uh, You were a member of Congress. You got redistricted in New York, just like everyone else, with this last minute nonpartisan map that Andrew Cuomo created as a way to kick the problem down the road. It came back like a big pustule and lost Democrats the House. You You are now running for your district again, which is now occupied by a very nervous Republican.
4: A very nervous Republican <laughs> uh, in a district drawn by a self-described moderate Republican from out of state who single handedly got to draw all 26 congressional districts in New York state. And still, it's a district I would have won had there not been shenanigans last year and I've been allowed to run in my own district. Mike Lawler has been all over cable TV, as you know, Ma. And he has been <laughs> as as one does when they're running against someone who should be representing New York's 17th congressional district. And he's been masturbating as this moderate who is going to save us from the Republican Party, except we know that he has been enabling all of the chaos that we've been seeing in Washington.
3: So there are 18 18- House Republicans who won in Biden districts, six of which, I think, or either five or six, I think it's six actually, come from New York State.
4: That's right. Approximately six. And the fact is that there was a lot going on in New York State last year between
3: <laughs> a lot of fucking up. Let's be honest here. There's a there were a lot of fuck-ups going on in New York State last year.
4: And, and let me remind people about the district that I'm running to represent it, it's Rockland County, it's northern Westchester, it's Putnam County, and it, it's a, a small portion of Dutchess. It's the Lower Hudson Valley. And here in the Lower Hudson Valley, we want our members of Congress to support the freedom of women to have an abortion. We want them to not enable people like Kevin McCarthy, who nearly shut down the government. Thank God for Democrats supplying the votes to keep to keep the lights on. And that was just a few days after a baseless impeachment hearing and squished in between those two was last Friday, which is which is when Mike Lawler and a lot of Republicans voted to cut federal spending by 30 percent. So all of this was last week before this week, Kevin McCarthy was deposed.
3: There was a time when you had moderate Republicans who would you know, those would be the sort of members of the Problem Solvers Caucus. They would be people who would push back against the Matt Gateses. Those people have no power in the Republican Party anymore. They are too scared of the Matt Gaetzes. And so they just vote the party line. So, for example, that CR that you're talking about, uh, that m- the moderates voted for, but the hard right didn't vote for, cut the federal budget by 30 percent. Like it was an insane CR. It was somebody told me, somebody who was nonpartisan told me it was, a quote unquote, the most conservative CR they'd ever seen. Of, I mean, so I think it's worth remembering that Mike Lawler is... Just because he's not Matt Gates does not mean he's a Democrat or even a traditional Republican of 20 years ago.
4: Molly, can I just explain briefly for your for your listeners what a CR is? Yes. A, a CR stands for continuing resolution. It, it's not a responsible way to 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 run the government. It is an interim step when you can't pass a fiscal year appropriations bill. <laughs>
3: exactly.
4: And so this con- so-called continuing resolution last Friday was an attempt at Kevin McCarthy to placate the the MAGA caucus. And Mike Lawler voted for it. It ended up failing, thank God. And the reason that CR failed is because it was 30% cuts across the board. We're talking about making 250,000 children lose access to childcare, 290,000 children lose access to Head Start. We're talking about 2.3, I believe, women, infants, and other children losing access to nutritional assistance. As many as 240 social security offices would have had to shut down. More than 10,000 FBI agents would have lost their jobs. I mean, this is really extraordinary stuff. And Mike Lawler voted for on the path to Democrats ultimately supplying the votes for a clean CR to keep the government open for 45 days. And we'll be back in this situation. in November.
3: It's such a crazy way to live. And I want you to talk about this for a second. There is a world where Republicans could not do this, right? Like where a Kevin McCarthy could say to Democrats, look. I don't have the votes in my own caucus. Let's figure out some kind of power sharing agreement so that we can get stuff done as opposed to naming post offices and having hearings on gas stoves.
4: If there were any moderate Republicans remaining in the House of Representatives, at a minimum, a threshold issue would be, are you willing to vote for Kakim Jeffries to be Speaker of the House since you clearly cannot run the government through electing someone from your own party. And of course as part of that you would enter into some kind of arrangement. I mean I imagine there would be a host of concessions made to Republicans in the event of such an arrangement. But that's what somebody like Mike Lawler who's in a district that Biden won by 10 points over Donald Trump, a district that rejected Donald Trump and where he now finds himself running for re-election despite having worked to elect and then re-elect Donald Trump in the past. At a minimum, that's what you would expect of someone like him. But instead, he's been blaming Democrats for why Kevin McCarthy is no longer Speaker of the House, which is just classic Mike Lowe and never taking responsibility Mm -hmm. for what he and his fellow Republicans caused.
3: It's pretty interesting, though, to see this sort of panic, because what we see, like, I feel like the House, again, the House is a microcosm for the country, right, for where the parties are in the country, right? So you have Republicans who are panicked because they know that Trumpism does not scale to these purple states. So I actually want you to talk a little bit about Matt Gates because you knew him. You served in Congress with him. You probably will serve in Congress again with him <laughs> unless Republicans <laughs> manage to kick him out. He is known now as the man who removed McCarthy. Can you explain to us what you think his motivations are?
4: I think Matt Gates is exemplifying what the Republican Party in 2023 has become, and certainly what the House Republican caucus has become, a group of people who are deeply, deeply conservative and extreme, in fact, both in their ideology and in the measures that they will take to achieve their ends. And still, that's not enough for Matt Gates. Matt Gates. He relishes chaos. And this has come to define a party that is in office to dismantle the government, not to actually improve people's lives. And so there is some consistency between the idea of chaos and making the government not work for everyday people. It's a horrible thing. It's a horrible motivation to to be in office. And of course, he enjoys the attention and his fundraising off of it. And I'm not sure even wants to remain in Congress for much longer, but he is probably going to have like a Newsmax show at some point in the future.
3: So I've heard a lot of different theories for his motivation. One is that he felt he was not supported during his FBI investigation. One of the things we saw last night on CNN, I'm sure you saw this, Manu Raju, really smart congressional reporter. He talked to Mark Wayne Mullins. I mean, it's such an insane moment of truth. You got to think about this guy. Um, This is a guy that didn't have that. The media didn't give a time of day to after he was accused of sleeping with an underage girl. And there's a reason why no one and the conference came and defended him because we had all seen the videos he was showing on the House floor that all of us
2: had walked away of the girls that he had slept with. He'd brag about how he would crush ED medicine and and, and chase it with, um, with an energy drink so he could
3: go all night. This is obviously before you got married. And so when that accusation came out, no one defended him, and then no one on the media would give him a time of the day. All of a sudden, he found fame because he opposed the Speaker of the House, Back in November? That none of them defended him because they had seen videos. What I don't know what was in those videos, but uh, which seems in my mind to be a real indictment of the people who saw the videos. Because if you are uh witness to something you think is a criminal action, you're really not supposed to just ignore it.
4: I look at what they've been doing with respect to George Santos, right? a guy who... They know to be a serial criminal. No, no effort to expel him. Look at the several people who, since being sworn in, have been exposed as having grossly lied about their biographies. This is what the caucus has become. People who are criminals, people who are compulsive liars, people who masquerade as things that they are demonstrably not. And it is all fine so long as they told the party line. And here Matt Gates is not telling the party line That's when people in the Republican caucus finally acknowledge the things that he has been accused of.
3: Yeah. I mean, I just was shocked. You know, it's a real moment of saying the quiet part loud.
4: Yeah. And who is going to be the next Speaker of the House? Will it be Jim Jordan? Will it be the guy who is probably the greatest conspiracy theorist to ever serve in the House of Representatives? That person's name is Jim Jordan, someone who has led these baseless investigations into Joe Biden and who has given had his money accepted by people like Mike Lawler, so-called. So what, what are they even doing?
3: So one of the cases that was made to me yesterday by Jake Sherman of Punchbowl was that Democrats should be happy that they had McCarthy and that McCarthy was actually good to Democrats and that Jim Jordan will be worse. I was somewhat baffled by this because, like, what is worse than an impeachment inquiry?
4: And 30 percent cuts and walking away from your agreement with the White House and with your Democratic colleagues when it came to the debt ceiling agreement.
3: So even if Jim Jordan has the votes, I mean, can he actually, like, jail Democrats? I mean, what is he going to do that's going
4: to be worse? The thing that we have learned, these 30 percent cuts last Friday and so much else, is that Kevin McCarthy is as extreme as any other member of the House Republican Caucus, when it comes to policy preferences and the legislation that they would be willing to support or bring to the floor. You know, when you're the Speaker, at a a minimum, you're doing what you have the votes to do, which your caucus is is telling you to do, largely, unless you're a a powerful Speaker in the way that Nancy Pelosi was, who still very much reflected the values of her caucus. And you didn't see anything approximating the levels of disagreement that we've seen this year and the 118 comes i think that jake is wrong as someone who firmly believes the truth which is that the house republican caucus is, is ungovernable and unable to run the country demonstrating for people the chaos that comes when these people have the gavel is helpful in explaining to people what is going on and why they should vote to defeat individuals like Mike Wallace.
3: It's absolutely so insane. So tell me what your schedule is now.
4: My schedule is getting out in this district and talking with people about kitchen table subjects. My efforts to continue to lower costs for people when it comes to prescription drugs and to make housing affordable and to get assault weapons off our streets because people are getting gunned down every single day. And it is a uniquely American problem that we can solve. But only if we have a majority willing to pass a universal background checks law and then an assault weapons. And I've been talking about democracy itself, which I think will, will become even more prominent in people's minds when Donald Trump is formally nominated this year. And it continues to talk about pardoning the insurrectionists at the Capitol on January 6th and jailing his political.
3: Thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate you.
4: No problem, Molly. People can also go to MondareforCongress.com and make a contribution Yes. or sign up to volunteer.
3: Yes, both good. When you have health insurance, it's easy to think I'm covered, no worries, right? Well, not so fast. What about your out-of-pocket costs? That can be a lot of money for you and your family. And if you're like me, you can't help but wonder, was I overbilled? You're not alone. It's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. Unless you're a billing expert, how do you know your medical bills are accurate? That's why I wanna tell you about HealthLock. What is HealthLock? It's a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your family's insurance. When your medical claims come in, HealthLock technology reviews the claims for errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and even fraud. HealthLock makes it easy to find and fix hidden errors. So you pay only what you owe. To date, HealthLock has saved its members over $130 million. Bottom line, insurance alone isn't enough. HealthLock finds medical bill errors before you pay. To save, visit HealthLock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider.
2: AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic.
1: Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here.
0: Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. With Picasso, you can stop saying someday and start building family traditions today in a vacation home you own and revisit time after time. Visit Picasso.com today to see thousands of luxury vacation home listings. That's PACASO.com.
3: Congressman Jarrett Moskowitz represents Florida's twenty-third congressional district. Welcome to Fast Politics, Congressman Moskowitz. Hi Molly, thanks for having me. You're a freshman congressman, right?
5: Yes, yes. It's been uh it's been nine months of just absolute and utter enjoyment to be in the House of Representatives.
3: And you're a freshman congressman from the state of Florida.
5: Yes, as they call it. In other circles, the free state of Florida.
3: Yes, the free state of Florida. First, let's talk about McCarthy had said he would take a vote on impeachment, realized he didn't have the votes, decided that he would just get going on impeachment. When you walked into that impeachment last week, did you think that Republicans really thought they had something?
5: I knew the hearing they were about to have was going to be a big fucking mistake for them. And I knew that because they like to tell everybody what they're gonna do. They've been telegraphing this entire impeachment inquiry on Twitter. We have this, we have that, big, big alert. They show the, the red alert symbol every time they like drip, drip this stuff. And so everything they had was already public, right? And we already had seven or eight of these hearings. They didn't have a new fact witness coming. They were bringing basically like a Fox News panel to comment. And so because of that, that allowed Democrats to prepare, which we did significantly on the last eight months of hearings and all of the statements they have made and all of the stuff about Donald Trump. And so, look, what you saw was you saw an organized Democratic committee, oversight Dems prepared, Republican oversight did not. And that is what the dramatic Part was. By the way, they also have no evidence. So, you know, it's tough to prepare when you have no evidence, but they didn't even do a great job of making up new stuff. They brought, you know, their greatest playbook for the last eight months, and I think it completely backfired on them.
3: What I think is really interesting about that impeachment hearing is I've never seen an impeachment hearing that ended up into like a showcase. There's always so much media chatter about like there's no Democratic bench. And it was like one after another of you guys just like kind of showing off a little bit. Hakeem did that
5: intentionally. So we understood at the very beginning of Congress that they had built that oversight committee, if you look who's on there, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, Andy Biggs, you know, Jim Jordan, right? We understood that they built that committee for television, right? They built that committee for a specific audience to convince the American people. We knew that. So we responded in kind, right? And Akeem put some of the best messengers on there that have been in Congress, like AOC, like Katie Porter, like Jamie Raskin. You have a number of them that are great messengers to get the truth out. And then he took a bunch of freshmen, myself, Maxwell Frost, Robert Garcia, Jasmine Crockett, Summer Lee. He took a bunch of these freshmen, Dan as well, who had done the impeachment hearing previously. They put a bunch of these freshmen to combat the lies we knew were going to come out of this committee. And so what you saw is you saw strategy from Hakeem Jeffries come to fruition in that hearing.
3: Yeah, it's kind of incredible. Like I, I was thinking about it because just like listening to Summer Lee and and then you'd go back to the MAGA's and it would be like Lauren Boebert, MTG trying to get that photo. <laughs> I don't know why, but she loves that photo of Hunter Biden. Well, because they have no evidence, Molly. Think about it. If they had evidence,
5: hard evidence. They would have presented it. But instead, they're presenting pictures of stuff that Hunter Biden did. Look, we get it. The last eight months of that hearing is all about Hunter, right? And look, Hunter has clearly done something wrong. He's been indicted and he should pay the consequences if that is found by a jury or a judge that he has done something wrong. He deserves a fair trial, as does Donald Trump, but the law is the law and Democrats are going to stick by it. Of course, by the way, you don't see that from our colleague's across the aisle. You know, we asked members to raise their hands to say if a jury or a judge says Hunter Biden is guilty and Donald Trump is guilty separately, will you stand by that? All the Democrats raised their hand. None of the Republicans right. did. Right. And so, you know, look, we were coordinated is not the right word, but we we all were talking to each other. So we kind of knew what everyone was going to say, which is why you noticed People had different styles, people had different messages. There wasn't us covering the same thing over and over again. They did was repeat each other with the same stuff they've been saying for eight months. If they had evidence, Molly, you would have seen evidence, but you didn't see that. You saw the greatest hits on all the things Hunter Biden has done wrong in his life.
3: So after that hearing, did Republicans realize that it went as badly as it clearly did? Or did it take them a day to realize it
5: immediately? They knew it was bad. By the way, they knew it was bad as it was happening. I quoted Steve Bannon in the hearing because Steve Bannon was podcasting the hearing as it was happening. And so, yeah, no, look, you know, Republican media knew right away that this was going poorly hours into the hearing. The members of the committee, as soon as the committee was over, they knew as well. I'm not going to say which ones, but many of them came over to us and was like, that was a disaster. You guys crushed us. You could see that not only did they realize that and the media realized that, which is why, Molly, have you found or seen anyone trying to change the narrative and say that hearing went really well? Not a single person, not even the chairman, (laughs) okay, has been on TV saying that was a home run hearing for us. That's how poorly it went. In fact, even Republicans that were not on the committee believed that What just transpired in those six hours set the impeachment hearings that they're trying to have back now, maybe by months.
3: So do we think this is the thing I have long suspected, but I'm curious if you think this, too. That was why Kevin McCarthy decided he couldn't afford the shutdown was because he realized that that was such a disaster that a shutdown, too, would just endanger those 18 vulnerable Republicans so much.
5: I don't know. Kevin didn't tell me why he did that. I think In fairness to him for a second, I think he realized Republicans would get blamed for the shutdown. They did. Because, right. Every, well, not just that. Every time this has happened, because it's not the first time they've done this three other times in recent memory, they've been blamed. So history had showed them if we do this, we're going to get blamed. And yes, he recognized that he's got vulnerable Republicans, many of them in Democratic seats that in order to remain in the majority, he didn't want to hang those guys out. So he did that. But he surprised the Democratic Party by doing that. We didn't know that CR was coming. It came out of nowhere. Now, look, I voted for it. I'm glad what we were paying our troops and we kept the government uh, the government open. But we were Democrats were never interested in shutting down the government. That was a narrative that they put out there. Right. To try to explain to people why they brought this CR, because as they knew then, which is now proven to be true, that CR was not going to be popular with the Republican base. And so they tried to explain it away and, and blame Democrats, but it didn't work. And that obviously is what has led us now to having the vacancy in the speakership.
3: So every newsroom thought the government was going to shut down for months and months and months. And I was like really surprised at the sea change. I was convinced. Well,
5: because look, for eight months, other than the debt ceiling deal, for eight months, we saw the MAGA wing, right, emboldened for the last eight months. And we saw them emboldened because of that motion to vacate. That motion to vacate of one member, right, gave them power. This Motion of A.K. didn't come out of nowhere. This has been a threat that's been out there. They've been teasing it. They've been talking about it. They've been whispering about it. Right. And so that kept the majority of the Republicans, even the moderate ones, kind of beholden to the Freedom Caucus, to those 20 or so MAGA members that are in the House. That's where the power center has been when it was clear that they wanted to shut down. And it was clear they were getting their instructions from Donald Trump beamed down from True Social that they wanted to shut down, right? It was the belief of many that we were going to go off the cliff because those guys were never going to allow anything to happen. And when they voted against the conservative CR, a 30% cut. Now, obviously, I voted against that. The one with all the poison pills. Yeah, with all the poison pills. When they voted against that, I thought to myself... Oh, we're definitely going off the cliff. That was the most conservative CR that has I think ever been put forward in recent memory. If they were serious about really wanting to cut spending, they should have given that some serious consideration. But you know, they have all sorts of chaos politics going on on their side of the aisle. But yeah, when when we saw that fail, we absolutely concluded: well, if they're if that's not good enough, right? If cutting the government thirty percent is not good enough, then only shutting it down must be what they wanted.
3: Kevin McCarthy's basic pitch to Democrats was that he is less awful than Jim Jordan, right? That's sort of the the devil you know, et cetera, et cetera. But Kevin McCarthy... In saying that, he was, in fact, though, he did do this impeachment. Right. So that was like, you know, he had gas stove hearings. He tortured many members of the Biden administration, bringing them in.
5: Has the government knocked on your door to take your stove away yet?
3: If only. But I mean, he did all the stuff that, you know, the worry is Jim Jordan might do. First of all, Jim Jordan doesn't have the votes right now anyway. But like, how would that even work?
5: Well, first of all, look, there are multiple narratives here that can all simultaneously be true, right? One narrative is that, yes, I think a Speaker Jim Jordan would be worse than a Speaker Kevin McCarthy. That narrative can be true. We can agree on that. I think we can also agree that if a Democrat filed a motion to vacate on Nancy Pelosi, I think we can also agree that we wouldn't have had one Republican vote to save Nancy Pelosi. Now, look, people like myself, I'm not celebrating that the house now doesn't have a speaker and i don't think democrats should be celebrating that i don't think democrats should be celebrating that kevin mccarthy was removed okay because it's still going to be a republican speaker we shouldn't celebrate this chaos democrats need a functioning republican party there's only two parties and we're always going to have either a divided house of representatives or a divided senate we're always going to have some sort of divided government and we need a functioning republican party donald trump has made them non-functioning. He has ruined them in ways that I don't think anyone anticipated that anyone could do to the Republican party before Donald Trump came on the scene. And it's unclear what will be left of the Republican party after Donald Trump loses the election and how they will try to move past that error. But look, Democrats don't vote for Republican speakers. Now that doesn't mean, Molly, we didn't try to find a potential deal for the institution. There were many conversations going on between Democrats and Republicans, right? To try not to allow the MAGA wing to plunge the institution into this sort of chaos. But in order to have a deal, the side that wants the deal, the moderate Republicans, have to present something. And they they presented nothing. They just wanted us to help them. But this was an internal Republican civil war between themselves. It didn't involve us. But also, look, we have our own politics. Let's not pretend that politics isn't a part of it. If Democrats went out and saved Kevin McCarthy just because it was a Tuesday for no other reason, no deal, not stopping the impeachment, not getting more seats on rules, not getting Ukraine funding just because we were asked Damn. to do it. Think about the problems we'd have now in the Democratic caucus, to progressives, the, the Democratic progressives and the Democratic moderates would be fighting and Hakeem Jeffries would be having to referee that.
3: Do you think there's a world where there ends up being some kind of power sharing or no?
5: No. Listen, there were times this week where I thought, well, maybe we're headed towards power sharing. It won't be real power sharing, but maybe we can get a sliver. Maybe we can get a little bit. Maybe we can get a couple members more on rules and make things slightly more moderate that come to the floor. I thought there was a glimmer of that. But when the other side didn't offer anything, and I think the reason ultimately they realized why they didn't offer anything is not because they didn't want to try. They recognized that they would would bleed even further.
3: Right, because the base is so radicalized. Yeah, because of the base, right. It's so radicalized. If
5: the speaker made a deal with us to survive, it would have been a short survival rather than having a fast, quick death of yesterday it would have been a slow bleed where, okay, now it went from eight, now it's 10, now it's 12, now it's 15, now it's 20. The pressure from outside Republican Twitter politics, right, would have been so immense that it would have collapsed. And the amount of Democrats it would have constantly taken to save the speaker, it would eventually not have worked. And so I concluded after the last couple of days, that unfortunately, I don't think that some sort of power sharing agreement can survive in today's politics.
3: So there are 18 vulnerable House Republicans who won in Biden districts. I think six in New York, some in Arizona, California. They would like to not have a Jim Jordan as speaker. I always think back to like how Nancy Pelosi never wanted her moderates, her people who came from swingy districts to have to vote against or for very extreme legislation because she thought it would hurt them. But that seems to not be on the radar of Republicans at all.
5: Look, Nancy Pelosi will go down as one of the greatest speakers of all time. And if that wasn't clear before yesterday, it's super clear now. But at the same time, Democrats didn't have this power. There's no doubt that Speaker McCarthy's team, when they finally agreed to lower the threshold to one member being able to file a motion to vacate. But, you know, I'm making like, an, a, like a Marvel Avengers reference. When they gave Matt Gates the Infinity Stones.
3: <laughs> the Infinity Stones, yes.
5: It was only a matter of time until Matt Gates snapped his fingers to make Kevin McCarthy disappear. This was absolutely inevitable. By the way, I think many Republicans also thought this was inevitable. Now, they didn't know that Matt would be able to get seven others to join him. But they knew that at some point, Matt would use this. Now, apparently, Matt made a promise he wouldn't. Right. Okay. but come on. This was power that an individual member has not had in the House for a long time. It didn't happen under Nancy because the power didn't exist. By the way, it's an interesting kind of political conversation, which is if a single member had this power when Nancy was speaker, would they have used it? Probably not. But they would have used the threat of it. Right. To move policy. I think. This is dangerous. I think giving one member the ability to vacate a speaker when 95 96 percent of your conference may support the speaker, which is what happened here, and four percent of the conference decides to remove the speaker, I think that's dangerous. I don't think we should have a one person being able to do that. Now I don't think it should go back to only like the majority leader or the whip. I think it shouldn't go back just to right. leadership. I think it could go to the members, but at one, no, 20, 30. Yeah, that makes a little more sense now because now it's a much larger part of the caucus. This was something, Molly, that members have been talking about for months. Is Matt going to do it? Is Matt not going to do it, right? It has been in the back of the mind. After the debt ceiling deal, we thought there was a chance that this could happen. But look, Matt was clearly very strategic. He needed to wait for the moment in which he could get other members to join him. And as soon as he realized he had other members on his side of the aisle to join him, I think Matt always knew that just like I said Republicans would never vote for Nancy Pelosi, I think Matt always knew Democrats wouldn't vote for a Republican speaker. But that doesn't happen by the way. Democrats vote for Democratic speakers, Republicans vote for Republican speakers. We don't vote for each other's speaker. And I think Matt knew that even though he was messaging for weeks that, oh, I I think the Democrats are going to save him. I think the Democrats are going to save him. I think that was some just some, you know, verbal jujitsu Matt was doing. But I think Matt always knew that he had to do it with his folks. He had to find enough members on his side to do it. And when he had it, he pulled the trigger.
3: Thank you so much, Congressman. I hope you'll come back. Absolutely. Brian Boitler is the editor of the new Substack, Off Message. Welcome back to Fast Politics, Brian.
6: Thanks for having me, Molly.
3: You write a Substack. Tell us a little bit about your Substack.
6: The Substack is called Off Message. I launched it, well, today is Thursday as we record this. I launched it almost two weeks ago on Friday the 28th of September, I think. It is meant to Make people feel okay about fostering vigorous intra-democratic party and intra-liberal debate. I launched it because I had this kind of gnawing, brewing sense over the last few years, at least, that in the in the Biden era, but really in the in the I think the post-Trump era, that media on the on the center to left had kind of split or fractured into into two camps: one that's sort of like pro-Democratic Party sort of present a united front against Donald Trump and authoritarianism and then sort of more factional media where there is obviously like dissenting opinion about the Democratic Party or Joe Biden, but it's really about factional grievances or, or factional concerns. And there isn't this sort of freewheeling conversation among most liberals about how things are going inside the House. I think that's Totally understandable. I mean, the Trump presidency was a very traumatic moment for the country. It's reasonable for people to feel like there's a lot of risk inherent in airing differences and and revealing that not everything is harmonious inside the big tent. So,
3: Speaking of not harmonious inside the big tent, let's talk about what's not harmonious (laughs) inside the GOP. Kevin McCarthy, nine months, they decided on a a full term abortion is something that is not a real thing but that Republicans love to talk about. The thing that gets me furious is there is a mainstream media messaging operation that is saying, Democrats, you didn't save Kevin McCarthy and you blew it. And now and now you're going to see now Speaker Jim Jordan is going to exact his revenge like trying to impeach the president. I mean, what is that revenge even look like?
6: Well, at the moment, it looks like very petty things, right? Like apparently under instruction from. Kevin McCarthy, the interim leadership of the House is expelling.
3: The guy who stands on the plastic crate.
6: <laughs> That's Patrick McHenry. He's expelling the Democratic leadership from some of their extra office space on the Capitol. The hideaways. Yeah, they're hideaways. And it just, it's extremely petty.
3: This kind of really petty stuff. Do voters like that? So I'm not sure how much of it voters
6: see. I think that, like, if you explained it to a voter, a median voter, an average voter, they would think that's petty and stupid. I don't like that. I think that atmospherically what you end up with is like one party really likes to smack the other party around, belittle them, abuse them. And that's not appealing per se, but neither is like refusing to stand up for yourself or not looking for ways to stand up for yourself. And sometimes I think Democrats fall into this trap of just assuming, well, everyone's going to see this Republican behavior. They're going to be put off by it. And that's all we have to do. It's sort of like when John Kerry got swift boated, it was this moment where they punched him in the nose. And a lot of people were like, well, that's unbecoming. But they also, I think, didn't respond well to John Kerry's inability to like, authentically stand up for himself, and, and it, it hurt him. And I think that that happens over and over again in this kind of partisan conflict. This idea that it was Democrats' job to rescue Kevin McCarthy from his antagonist or, or save him from himself, I think it like initially started with Republican operatives and conservative or centrist pundits who were kind of looking for like a, a hot take about the, the whole thing. But it has bled into sort of mainstream cable news-type commentary and coverage. And it's part of a dynamic in mainstream journalism where Republican extremism and kind of bad acting, this sort of like they're abusive, will punch you in the face stuff is just presumed. They they will be dysfunctional. They will misgovern the place. And it's up to Democrats to clean everything up or to make unreciprocated concessions to the Republicans to sort of appease them so that they don't do too much damage. And obviously that that's not a reasonable or fair or sustainable way to organize a country or an, a fair expectation for any kind of outside critic to impose on people in partisan politics. It long predates this speakership fight. And you're just seeing seeing this manifestation of it. And I agree. It's extremely annoying.
3: But it's also, for example, the threat of a Jim Jordan speakership, which I heard a number of sort of people who are theoretically centrist say that he's going to come after Democrats. A Jim Jordan speakership does not look good for the 18 Republicans who are desperately needed if Republicans want to keep the House. Right. I mean, like, you know, Jim Jordan gets up there and starts screaming and jumping up and down. I mean, do soccer moms in Pennsylvania like that? I mean, is that what they want?
6: I think Jim Jordan, for the reasons you articulate and others, is going to have a hard time getting 218 votes to become speaker.
3: But that's being held up as the threat against Democrats. Like, so he's mean to them. Like, ultimately, that's better for winning back the majority. And they've already done everything crazy. I don't understand. Do therapy for me.
6: There's a or what? sort of question that hangs around all this, like what is worse than Kevin McCarthy? And I think Democrats reasoned through this fairly intelligently before they made the decision to unify and vote to oust McCarthy is that the House was already led by somebody who was an apologist for the insurrection, who tried to undermine the January 6th committee, who brought Donald Trump back into the party and launched the impeachment inquiry against Joe Biden. So like, what is Jim Jordan going to do beyond that? That's so much worse. I do think that like if Donald Trump himself were to become speaker, and there are Republicans talking about it, there's a level of narcissism, of sabotage, of corruption, where if you put somebody with those qualities into the speakership, they could really take the country in in bad places. Like Donald Trump, I assume, would, you know, shut the government down and leave it closed down and unless and until the House defunded his prosecutions. And then you'd have to Wait and see are like our five or six Republicans going to try to force a vote to reopen the government. I don't know. They will have just voted for Donald Trump to become a speaker. There's this theoretical realm where if you if you put somebody who doesn't understand like what a public trust is and is only in it for themselves into the speakership and they're they're using it for their own personal purposes as opposed to for partisan purposes or whatever else. They could do a lot of damage, but Jim Jordan, is he going to double impeach Joe Biden? To, OK, I mean, I guess let him. I, I, I think I think the attitude should be, look, if you want help getting somebody elected speaker, you're going to have to make some reasonable concessions to us. Maybe you can start by saying that the 2020 election wasn't stolen and we'll give you some votes. But if you're not willing to do that, bring it on, like bring us your worst. It's up to you. Like that is a you guys decision. And so far, at least, I think that's the posture Democrats have taken. and I think it's wise.
3: Yeah, I mean, it is just an incredible spot to be in. Like Republicans have decided that they are going to be held hostage by the far right. And then sort of the larger situation is that, uh, you know, somehow this is Democrats' fault.
6: Yeah. I don't really know what Democrats can say beyond like, are you are you fucking kidding me when people try to say it's your fault?
3: It's such a sort of metaphor for where we are in this fuckery. Well, I mean, if if you have a 222 or
6: whatever it is, vote House majority, you have two options. You can have a disciplined party that's competent and operates in good faith with itself enough to sustain 218 votes. You have four votes to spare. This is what Nancy Pelosi was able to do for two years. And. There, there was no internal effort to depose her. Or if you can't do that, then you more or less have to go to the other party and say, all right, like, let's come up with somebody who you can tolerate and give us, you know, just enough votes to get over the hump. But then it's not going to be one of your one of your fire breathing partisans. It's going to be somebody who understands that they need Democratic votes to sustain the speakership. And as as long as Republicans aren't willing to contemplate any kind of concessions like that, you know, Democrats have kind of done all they could. Maybe they they can go out in front of the cameras and kind of mock reporters for taking this notion that they had some duty to rescue Kevin McCarthy seriously. Like, I don't think anybody in the media sincerely believes that. It's just playing along with dumb, dumb talking points, right?
3: Yeah. One of the really interesting things that I think that's going on, and I don't know if it's interesting exactly, but like it's really hard to know what's happening polling wise. Like, do you trust polls? I mean, I saw an insane poll out of Pennsylvania that had Bob Casey winning by 10 points and Joe Biden losing by three points.
6: I don't put much stock in them just because the election is so far out. There isn't a whole lot of, I think, like historical data to support this because there's only been 45 presidents. But, you know, it's two and a half years in to the Biden presidency. I think some of the, uh, you know, the the novelty of having beat Trump and pushed him out of office has worn off. And The warts are starting to show and and people are a little bit, you know, frustrated by this or that. And so I think that there's a way to understand why Joe Biden, despite being a much better president than Donald Trump in every way, is polling at a similar level to him. And the senators and governors in their states are in a slightly less polarized political situation. They're obviously almost all of them younger and appear younger than Biden. So they are polling better than Biden. But I think that when Donald Trump seals up the nomination um which i expect he will you know american memories are short but i think that the the memory of the trump presidency is still sharp enough and and it will be people will recall it when he becomes the nominee and they'll be reminded you know why it is that they showed up to vote for Joe Biden in 2020 and the base will reconsolidate around him and the polling will improve. I mean, I I can't be certain that that's what's going to happen.
3: But that seems like a likely scenario. That's how
6: like you can look at a poll that says that and say that that is capturing something real about public sentiment at the moment. But it doesn't mean that the country is ready to go back to Trump.
3: Right. It is interesting to me, though, like one of the fundamental problems we're having here is that there's a real economic inequality issue that is really a problem. And I actually do think that Biden is trying to address that. And you see him quietly trying to forgive student debt in big tranches. But that's sort of the question. If you want young people to vote for you, you have to give them a reason. Right.
6: Yeah, well, I think you have to acknowledge or speak to what they say their concerns are, even if their concerns aren't about policy or finances or whatever else. I mean, you know, young people obviously, I think, want student loan forgiveness to happen. And we're happy when he rolled out his plan and we're bummed when the Supreme Court tossed it out. But, you know, Mm -hmm. they're also saying that, like, the Democratic Party tells us that we are like, we have to vote as if our lives depend on it, but they don't act like that when they're governing and they don't elevate people who are in our generation or, you know, just one generation older than us to leadership positions within the party. Like, which is it? Pick one. If that's what their concern is, then I think Democrats aren't doing themselves any favors by ignoring it. That doesn't mean they have to, like, throw out Joe Biden and throw out Chuck Schumer right now, but they should at least say, hey, we hear you and change is coming and we and we get that you're speaking to a real issue within the party. It's not going to be us forever. And that might help on the sheer numbers of it. The Biden economy has been great for inequality. I mean, obviously, inequality persists, but he's brought it down substantially. There's just been a lot of churn in this post-pandemic period, both policy-wise and in the economy. And it has, you know, while on the whole brought income inequality down, it has also created these weird things where like a bunch of people get kicked off Medicaid and student loans are going to be forgiven, but then they're not.
3: So a lot of the things that have happened during the Biden administration that have been bad are things that were consequences of the Supreme Court, right? Yes. So, for example, the fall of Roe, not being able to forgive the student debt that he wanted to forgive, stuff like that. So I've heard takes that Biden gets blamed for that, even though it wasn't his fault. I mean, do you think that's a real phenomenon?
6: I think it's totally plausible. I mean, I think it's a little bit mystifying why Biden continues to be. I mean, it's not like he's we must respect the sanctity of the Supreme Court and I trust the good faith of all the nine justices. He has gone further than that, right? He, right. he is willing to say that there's problems there, but he has not really been willing to hold them up as a foil.
3: I'm surprised by that because I know the idea of, of more justices is wildly unpopular, but the idea of term limits is not. Yes. And I mean, I
6: don't think Biden necessarily has to come out in favor of court pack. He's actually come out against it. So I doubt right. he's gonna come out in favor of it. But he could say sort of vaguer thing like this Supreme Court, which Republicans stole, is corrupted by money and has issued these illegitimate rulings, and we are going to undo them. We're gonna bring back Roe. We are gonna bring back student debt relief, and we are going to use our checks and balances to make sure that they don't thwart the will of the people anymore. I mean, there's a lot of ways you could message it without saying 13 justices or bust. And I think that to the extent that Democrats pick up that their natural supporters don't really understand that the Supreme Court was the reason that abortion got thrown out, although I think almost everyone realizes that, or that the Supreme Court is the reason that student loan reform got thwarted, which I think many, maybe many people don't realize that, if there's some knowledge gap there, fill it. Just say the Supreme Court is the reason, but we have power too. Checks and balances are the foundation of the American system, and they have shown that they need to be checked, and so we're going to check them, and then that's how we're going to restore reproductive rights, and that's how we're going to restore student debt relief. I would, that's what I would say.
3: So interesting. Who do you think is going to be Speaker of the House? Go. It can be crazy.
6: Probably Patrick McHenry. I think that it's not going to be that interesting, probably when all is said and done. It's going to probably be a crazy process to get there.
3: Yeah, that's my take, too. Go on.
6: My take is that all of the possible outcomes seem so implausible, but one of them has to be true, right? So somebody from the problem solvers realm, you know, who's like has tried to create distance from MAGA is going to be elected with like 50-50 support from Democrats, Republicans or They'll find a conservative like like Tom Cole from Oklahoma, who's very conservative, but has like never really been part of the MAGA scene. You know what I mean? And I think Democrats think that he's like somebody you can talk to and and, and work with. And he could get he could get 75 percent of the votes from Republicans and 25 percent from Democrats. But. It's a strange situation.
3: They got to get 218, man.
6: Yeah. And I think Democrats have some, you know, have some messaging options. They can say we need, if you want our votes, we need a speaker who doesn't reject the the results of the 2020 election, like doesn't reject, A, to Ukraine.
3: Such a low bar. I'm laughing to keep from crying. Yes. Thank you, Brian.
6: Thank you, Molly. It was great.
1: And now your moment of fuckery. Jesse Cannon. Molly Fast. I have never seen someone more thirsty for attention than Marjorie Taylor Greene and how excited she is at the idea that Mr. Trump is coming to visit the GOP caucus and could maybe be their new Speaker of the House.
3: It's the Donald Trump friend Olympics. And Marjorie Taylor Greene is a candidate. No, listen. First of all, I would... It's hard for me to imagine a worse candidate for Speaker if you want to rewin the House than Donald Trump. And so <laughs> I encourage Republicans to please nominate this person. Those 18 vulnerable House Republicans are going to be completely and utterly screwed if Donald Trump becomes Speaker of the House. And that is our moment of fuckery. That's it for this episode of Fast Politics. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to hear the best minds in politics make sense of all this chaos. If you enjoyed what you've heard, please send it to a friend and keep the conversation going. And again, thanks for listening.
2: When
3: you have insurance, it's easy to forget about your out of pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. How do you know you're not overpaying? HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a technology company that securely connects with your insurance and reviews your claims for overbilling, wrong codes, and even fraud. To date, HealthLock has saved its members over $130 million. To save, visit healthlock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider.